0: Hello everyone and thank you for joining us here on the Recruitment Roundup podcast which is brought to you by BMS Performance. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, BMS Performance is a specialist sales and marketing recruitment consultancy. For the last 30 years we've been helping businesses across the UK recruit for vacancies at every level. I'm your host Mike Leather and every week I'll be joined by a new guest where we'll get stuck into the latest trends in regards to recruitment. We'll talk about insights, we share ideas, we share experiences, and ultimately, we look to provide value to fundamentally help you, you whether or not you're a hiring manager, a business leader, or part of an internal talent team to recruit smarter, faster and more effectively welcome everyone to episode two of season two of the recruitment roundup podcast where today i'm joined by my colleague rob coombs rob welcome back onto the show thanks how for having me back yeah I'm good how are you getting on all right Oh, good. Oh, good. Looking forward to this conversation and um, we're going to be getting stuck into um, the subject of counter offers and then going to be providing the audience and listeners with a couple of tips at the end of the podcast in regards to how you can manage candidates before they start. You now, we're definitely in an environment now where um, we've certainly seen more candidates taking counter offers and um, unfortunately, a few more candidates dropping out. Um, before site, and so we, we thought it'd be a great time to put together a podcast like this and um and yeah we look forward to sharing it with everyone so to introduce rob rob's in his 10th year at bms performance he's um one of our top performing national account managers and someone that i've had the pleasure of working with for uh, must be about six seven years now rob
1: Yes, I think
0: yeah. so. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he yeah, spends all day, every day speaking to candidates and companies about all things sales recruitment. Um, he's right in the thick of it, so I could think of no one better to bring on to talk about this subject today. So, here he is. Thanks again. All right, Rob. So, why don't we kick off by talking about, um, in a bit more detail, about why we've... Um, decided in particular to do this right now i'll just give a bit of a segue into it but if you could give your take that'd be good
1: yeah absolutely it's been it's been a topic conversation not just for us of course internally i'm seeing it a lot on on linkedin within our peer network in the recruitment world but also with those companies that are hiring directly um that are asking for my take on it you know they give me a give me a bell and, and ask about it and it's happening more and more and I think there's a number of different internal and external factors for businesses as to why this is happening. I mean, internally, you know, arguably operating in recession kind of environments at the moment without officially being in one. So companies have been a little bit more careful. So obviously not wanting to lose people because of the expense of hiring. And of course, attracting talent is hard work as well, as we've known for the last three or four years. So they're doing everything they can to keep their, their best people on the flip side, um, you know, from a, a candidate applicant perspective, a lot of uncertainty out there for families, jumping maybe into something new. Mm-hmm. Um with the uncertainty of mortgage rates going up and things, you know, money does talk a bit like in football, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. I think I think you know it's we're in a weird vacuum of, of counter offers again. We we had this conversation 18 months ago where it happened a lot, then it's gone quiet and now it's blown up again. And it's always due to usually some external factors that that make people a bit twitchy so I think it's great that we're talking about it now
0: yeah and for the audience what we want um you all to to get out of this um and in some instances we might not be teaching you anything new but if you come away with from this with um a couple of ideas of how to spot cancer offers or the risk of a candidate taking a counter offer a little bit earlier in the recruitment process. That can save you a lot of time and money um, overall and certainly at the back end of it. Um, and also as well, a, a bit of an understanding is from our experience to so why people are taking counter offers at the moment. What sort of council offers are most appealing to candidates? as well so yeah so why don't we get into that rob then why 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 the candidates take a cancer off for of them
1: yeah as, as i touched on it then so in my experience especially in the last three months there's been a number of factors i'd say number one it, it's down to money um yeah. you know as you can see all over the news with the public sector s- situation when it comes to, to pay rises and what have you and, and they're asking for it you know for, uh, the ons have been showing how much pay rises have Gone up in the last 12 months across the, the private sector obviously which we deal in a yeah. lot more Um, And and as a result, when somebody is handing in their resignation, company panics and throws another 5, 10. And in your instance, you've seen 15, 20 grand counter offers. That's going to be a bit of a lottery win, at least for six, seven, eight, nine months, isn't it? You know, for, for that individual. Other reasons people are taking them that we found, of course, again, linked to that cost of living, but also that uncertainty piece. If they've been in a role over two years, then they are a lot safer than they are if they've been in the role less than two years. And therefore, by making that jump across, sometimes get its feet, about that longevity just in order to pay the bills and the mortgage. But what I've seen a lot, um, again, it's probably come out of the pandemic, is the, this whole idea of flexible working, not just because people don't want to travel into an office or you know, do this and that and the other. It's because yeah. of the family dynamics and being there for families. And I've had a lot of uh, candidates talk to me about this a lot more pre-process and the one or two counter offers we have had is due to things that are outside of a business's um control which are down to family ill health changes kids mm. needing to be picked up from school this that and the other and that new role that they're going to whereby they're going to have to give 150 percent to get up and running they don't then have that flexibility so identifying things like that at the front end of a process is going to help uh, understand why people take cater offers or, or even consider them, you know.
0: So so you mean companies that have um, said to the the candidate or their, their current employee, look, what we can do is provide you with more flexibility in your role. So maybe you come into the office less or you've got more flexible in terms of your working days, working passes, Absolutely, that sort yeah. of thing you mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. That gives them that opportunity to to pick good kids up or or drop them off at school or what have you, or if they need to be close by for an elderly relative that they're looking after, they can do that. Whereas they might be going to company X where it's a field based sales role and they need to have three or four nights away from home a week. and it's obviously not going to happen. So they thought that they were going to join their business and thought, oh, we've got our person here. Fantastic. They've verbally accepted. Next thing you know, they've spoken with their family and it, their current employer says, well, you don't have to go away two or three nights a week. Stay here and do this, that and the other. Oh, all right, fantastic. Path of least resistance, of course.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk um, shortly about the difference between you know your demotivated candidates mm-hmm. and your dissatisfied candidates because they're two slightly different different people, should we say? Um, I was going to use a different word then, but two different slightly different people. Um, Thinking in my experience and, and what what I've seen, to put my two penneth into it, the large majority of candidates when they're coming onto the job market at the moment, they're looking for increases of ten to twenty percent in terms of the basic salaries. And if their motivations are purely monetary, then a lot of the time we are seeing employers, current employers of those those people be aggressive now in the, in the council office for all the reasons that you've said. It's yeah. a hard market to recruit in. Yes, businesses have tightened up. There uh, are in some industry sectors, less jobs in those sectors now than there was 12 months ago. Companies are aware of this, so it becomes harder for them to recruit. You know, we're not exactly seeing a booming candidate market either. The candidate market is pretty steady compared to what it was six months ago. It's not grown massively, but companies know it's harder to recruit and we're seeing Skill shortages in a lot of sectors as well. So companies, again, know if they lose this particular experience, it'll be very hard to actually recruit it again. There was was, um, a situation that one of um, our colleagues had whereby a candidate was the last salesperson employed in this particular company. He'd gone to resign and give him a 15 grand pay rise to stay because the company just could not afford to lose him and they broke the bank to keep him. There's other scenarios where um, candidates have been offered promotions mm. you know, because their reason for leaving might have been lack of career pathway. A company can s- solve that nine times out of ten if they really want to keep the candidate. But we're, we're seeing companies become more aggressive, I think, in terms yeah. of what they're putting on the table. And then you've got candidates um, are more willing to accept the counter offers because of everything that we've discussed. Yeah. They don't want to be in that situation where they might be lasting first out as well so yes. there's all this coming into play i guess the, ma- the main point of this particular part of the episode is to um, help the audience hiring managers be able to spot out offers or candidates that are going to be susceptible to them um so how can hiring managers do that absolutely so i'm going to answer that in two ways one
1: using a recruiter to not using a recruiter because ultimately it's the same recruitment process, but that's where you know, you, you've got the added value of a third party or directly. So if you're using a recruiter, you want to make sure that part of their process is in that pre-screening piece before they've even been submitted to, to that opportunity, is that they've got a thorough understanding of what their reasons for leaving are on the, the day of that conversation. Now, of course, somebody's job search could take two weeks. It could take six months. And obviously over that period of time, things evolve and change both internally and externally, as I touched on before. But having that at the front end is, is obviously going to help the rest of that process because it's a it's a stick in the sand and it, it's something that you can keep referring back to and checking all the way through that process. So you know why that person is wanting to leave the employee that they're at or why they're on the market or want that job. Yeah. And then, of course, that's you know, the conversation you have your, with your recruitment partner. When you're doing things directly, you might have, uh, you're doing it yourself, you might have an internal talent acquisition team, you might have a HR team, whatever. When an applicant is applying to that role and you engage them, one of those first conversations needs to be around that so that you've got that logged and you've got a brief understanding at the front end. Yeah. And, and then, of course, all the way through that recruitment process, let's say you've got a two-stage interview, you're covering it off at first. You're retouching on it at seconds so that you know that if and when you want to make that individual an offer, what the chances are of one, them accepting the offer two the response. uh, Sorry, their expectation of their current employer to counter offer. And three, what is their notice period? And we'll come on to that in a bit, I'm sure. Because what we're finding at the moment is a lot more people have got three month notice periods, which causes their own problems, Um, so therefore you've got an idea of how long you need to know between offer and them starting what you've got to do so that's my my biggest piece of advice in the first instance
0: okay, let's press pause on that bit then, so let's just focus on interviews yeah it would would if we're a hiring manager and we think I'm thinking, right, the interview. I'm recruiting directly, let's forget um using recruiters for the time being, yep. so I'm recruiting directly, the interview is the first um stage when I can test to see if this person is going to be susceptible to a cancer mm-hmm. offer. You've just touched on reason for leaving, which I think is absolutely crucial, getting to the bottom of that reason for leaving. We, we, we all get wishy-washy answers, I'm looking for career progression, what does that actually mean, what does that look like, yeah. why? But it's getting to the why of the reason for leaving. What sort of questions can hiring managers and anyone interviewing a candidate be asking to uncover whether someone is susceptible to a counter offer?
1: Yeah, I mean, you've just pretty much said that the one that I ask a lot myself is what does progression mean to you? you you know because it means a lot of things to a lot of people it actually might mean a a change in job title or more responsibility it actually might mean moving up the ladder in terms of earnings um it it could mean a hell of a lot of different things so really understanding the like you say the why there by asking what does progression mean to you you know what is it about the current your current employer that has made you even think about a change what has fundamentally changed within your role that's made you unhappy Um, and you know, you might want to ask that question around trying to understand if they're disgruntled or if they're disengaged, like you touched on before and and ask something around that to try and get an emotive response to see, is this just something that is a flash in the pan because um, something might not have gone their way. They might Mm. have had a bad month or quarter, or is there something really deep rooted that if they don't change now that they'll never change in three, six, nine months?
0: Yeah, I think this is especially more important as well, passive candidates, mm. because you know, we've, we've spoken a lot in season one about passive candidates and your active candidates are people that they're applying for lots of jobs, potentially, or they're working with one suit recruiters and they're, they're interviewing with you, they're interviewing the competition. So they're, they're, they've they made that conscious decision, I want to move, Then they are less likely to accept account offer because actively on the market. But we know the active talent pool is limited at best at the moment. Yeah. And the passive side of the market is really where you know, your top performers are and they need encouragement to move from one company to another. It's the, these type of people and these types of candidates that are the highest risk to accounts offer because they're not actively looking and it's it's getting really to the bottom of what's it going to take for them to move you know they're they're not in some cases unhappy and it's understanding what are their drivers for actually moving on getting to the bottom of that yes because it sometimes it comes it, it comes to more than just extra on the basic in some of these cases as well doesn't it
1: It certainly does. And again, I touched on a football analogy earlier on, but you take the current situation with someone like Harry Kane, top performer for Tottenham Hotspur. Whoever comes in for that individual needs to really understand why he would want that move, but also um, that the fact is that their current employer, i.e. Tottenham Hotspur, do everything in their power to keep hold of that person. And it's exactly the same in the business world. And understanding those drivers means that you can then put yourself in the right position to, one, get the offer right for, for the candidate that you mm-hmm. want to take on, and two, mitigate the chance of them staying poor or turning you down at the last second, especially if they're due to start next week or whatever, and you've you know lost that yeah. time.
0: Yeah, and we're still very much in a market where it's really important that candidates feel bought in yes. to the company that they're going to be joining, and this can be an awkward question to ask, and listeners might think that that's um that's that's a bit too forward, but I certainly think that if interviewers are asking candidates that they really like, or we really like you, they would think you're good for it and you'd be great for our business, out of interest, you, know, you are a top performer in your current company, what could your employer do to, to make you stay? What could they put on the table that would that would appeal to you? Because you, you then know where you're at then as well. 100%. As, as an employee, you know what you might need to offer financially, professionally, career development wise, in order to beat that potential counteroffer because if they're a top performer, they're a passive candidate, they're working for you know, a reasonable um, company, let's suggest that all companies are reasonable, Um, then they're probably going to get a offer. So, got to get get ahead of the game and find out what the chances are and what that counter might need to look like for them to, to appeal to the candidate. And, and some candidates may be um, really honest with that and really open. Some might be more reserved, but they'll definitely feel wanted by you. They'll definitely yeah. feel wanted.
1: And another quite forward thinking and probably heard question to ask as well if we think about over the years uh, the hiring managers we've spoken to that say oh been bitten by a counter offer because the applicant was only testing the water because they were again you know not an active applicant because they were trying to you know strangle for a pay rise in their current place well again you might if you love that applicant so much you might be as bold as to say out of curiosity you know when was last time your current employer gave you a pay rise yeah. Or, you know, when was the last time you, you sat down with your current employer and discussed, you know, this progression that you're looking for or this package or whatever it might be? Because if they had one five minutes ago at the beginning of the uh, financial year in April, then you might be on to a winner because they're not just looking for extra because they've just had one. But if they've not had one for many, many years and then that counter offer comes in, they again might be more tempted to take it because they've obviously angled for it and got it that way. So, again these hard-hitting questions that people may hiring managers may not want to ask, I definitely would because it helps to mitigate your chances of losing out. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, 100%. Right, so we've covered off the interviews. Let's move on to that, that period of time when you know, you've had the verbal acceptance yep. and the paperwork goes out. Yes. What... Can we, what sort of red flags could we be looking for there that might give us a feeling something's not going, something's gone wrong here?
1: You mean from a candidate, perspective yeah, from yeah, a candidate yeah. perspective? yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So again, time to signature, <laughs> you know, the, I mean, one of the things that you can do as a, as a hiring business, of course, is use the wonderful world of technology and have things docu-signed rather than ask for things yeah. back in the snail mail. Um, and of course, if you're sending things out that way, you hopefully expect a pretty quick response because it's a few clicks uh, anything that's taking a few more days and they haven't given you a precursor as to why that could be ie got another interview that i wanted to attend first or family holiday or whatever it might be that's a red flag so you want to be addressing that based yeah. on that first well, commun- communication
0: levels important definitely yeah. what, what what's your take on um companies setting um contact points so for example um We'll get the paperwork out to you today, um, this being a Monday, you know, the latest we need it back by 12 o'clock on Thursday. Do you think that's too forward or do you think that's
1: no, I do think it's good and it, it all comes down to candidate journey. We've talked about this in season one a lot in, in, in terms of their actual recruitment process So when someone applies, you know, when the first are going to be, when the second is going to be, what the interview process looks like to be as engaged as possible for and enjoyable as possible, I think we talked about last season. It's exactly the same in the offer process and, and stopping this counter offer, because then at least an applicant, one knows the expectation and, and two, has got those kind of deadlines, etc. It gives the hiring company the knowledge that that individual, especially if they're a sales professional, that... They're great at working to targets and working to deadlines and what have you. And again, it's a test of commitment. So I've got no no qualms with that at all. Again, Mm. it's all about that initial fact find though. what else is happening in that person's world that could stop them from doing that or why they wouldn't do that straight away.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't see a downside to it personally. I think we should be testing commitment all all the way through the process. And if if we're all that mindset, then that helps us stay ahead of any issues before they come major problems okay what is your thoughts on a hiring manager arranging a call with a candidate that they've had a verbal acceptance for um to talk to them um before they resign so give them you know but so it's it can be a traumatic experience resigning especially if someone's been in the company for you know, five, six, seven, eight years. so um, in some cases they've grown up with a business, then going into resign, yeah. it can be one of the most nerve wracking moments of their life. What what's your take on that on a candidate on on a, a company giving a candidate a call before they go into resign?
1: As a business not using a recruiter, you absolutely should be doing that. And and I appreciate that that might not be something that comes into their psyche if they're not using recruiters. Because of course, big part of what we do is exactly this process from it for the candidate, you know, looking after the candidate side. I mean, one of the phrases that I say more than ever at this point in time is that you will see the best and the worst in the people that you think you know the best um, when you resign, because you'll either see the best in them because they completely understand it, they support you, they've seen you go through your career and they wish you all the best because they can't offer you where you're going, which is fine. Mm. More often than not, it's the uh, chimp paradox piece, and the chimp side of the brain comes out, and ultimately, they have an emotional (laughs) reaction, and it goes, it doesn't go very nicely whatsoever. And it's about having a person on the phone on a team's meeting that you can bounce those ideas off and if you're a hiring company and let's say it's a sales director or national sales manager hiring a salesperson great even better if you can get HR involved because ultimately that's their skill set you know to to have that kind of conversation and and definitely talk around you know what the pitfalls could be so that the individual that's going to go and resign isn't shaking like a leaf and and is able to do that and, and therefore be more susceptible to attacking the counter offer that are inevitably going to come their
0: way. So put um put your um your BMS um hat on. So if you were having, let's call it a resignation brief call with a candidate yeah. before you need who going to resign, go what would you be discussing with them? Um and what advice would you be giving them?
1: So it goes back to what I said before. We go all the way back to the beginning of the journey. When a candidate registers BMS performance, one of our dedicated consultants, they will have gone through reasons for leaving. And the first thing I'll do is check that. Make Mm. sure that the reasons, because this process could have taken a few months, make sure that the way they were feeling at the beginning of their journey is the same that they're feeling now. Try and understand if anything has changed in the last however many days, weeks, months, period of time, to, to, to the point that they're at now then try to get a feel for how excited they are about that offer and the opportunity that they're moving forward to because if i don't feel that that genuine uh, yeah. excitement red flag um yeah. and then understand from there once you've got all those ducks in a row right what's your relation you know you should have already found this out but just reaffirm what their relationship's like with the person that they're going to be resigning with uh to yeah, a lot of the time, because if you're taking someone from one business, they might have had other resignations. So I try and find out how many other people have resigned of late, because yeah, that a does, a, does a couple of things. One, you can find out how they're going to react. You're going to find out if they've lost some of their top performers, going to lose another one, that they're going to probably act badly. And three, you can get an idea of how open they are to putting you on garden leave, negotiating notice periods down, etc. And then hmm. once that's happened. I will then ask that question about, OK, so how do you how do you feel about mm. resigning? How are you going to go about it? Um, are you going to do it in person? Obviously, get an email out first and foremost, because you want to get that timestamp. Um, you know, what's the exit interview process? Because, again, that's another touch point for that existing employer to throw a counter offer out. So mm. I'm really trying to thoroughly understand this whole process, both mentally physically and obviously from a future perspective
0: yeah um would you ask the candidates give you a call after they've designed so that you know it's all
1: before before the yeah obviously I have that conversation beforehand and then after I'd also want to get an understanding of the rough time that they're going to do it so I can be on hand to make sure that I'm, I'm there to take the phone call after now if I don't have that phone call again, red flag and starts red appearing. Flag, and yeah. then it's a case of following up on that. So, yeah, a bit like what we talked about with the employer putting times and dates on getting offers accepted. It's the same with this resignation conversation.
0: Yeah. So all that's gone through and we've seen this happen. So candidates resigned, been accepted. They're on a three-month notice, which is becoming a little bit more common Yeah. Um, as well. And it's not over. Then we've seen people and seeing candidates and had the unfortunate experience of someone that has resigned and signed the paperwork only to be chipped away at month on month and he gets to month three and it's, I've actually decided to stay where I am because it put something on the table. So what can we be doing if mm-hmm. someone is on a long notice period to continue to keep in touch and assess how susceptible or not they're 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 becoming to a counter offer
1: yeah absolutely so if we're talking again from a, a hiring company's perspective and, and taking our bms hats yeah. off as a recruiter there's a number of different techniques that you can do and I'm, I'm speaking to more and more businesses that are all over this but there's still a hell of a lot of organizations out there that you know don't they think it's done. So you're absolutely yeah. right. So as much as an easier phone call once a week, checking in how they're doing, making them feel like they're part of that fabric already of the organisation, just from a communication perspective. You know, other people in the organisation reaching out, whether that's sales people, HR, marketing, etc., having different people involved, so that there's less awkwardness on day one. They feel like they know people and they're more connected to that business emotionally as well. Secondly, you know making sure one of the things that i've really been trying to nail down with my clients is that that onboarding planning conversation is happening pretty much immediately so yeah. you should be knowing where they need to be what's happening with this co- company car or whatever it might be all the equipment what they're doing in their first three or four weeks so it's super slick and organized and they feel like it's yes i cannot wait yeah the sooner you get that out And let's say it's a three month notice period. They're waiting 11, 10, 11 weeks for that. But they've got something to look forward to. Um, And then obviously you're continuing on that. You can follow that up with collateral as well. Give them bits that they can be engaging with, because obviously if they're disengaged from their current employer, if you're giving them new, exciting, fresh things to be engaged with, they're more likely to then obviously take that in and hit the ground running. And one of the other things that that's happening more and more, i really like it and it it depends on that company culture you're joining is get the new person involved in company events that are coming up so that could be soirees it could be going out for meals it it could be the odd work after drinks on a thursday or a friday or if it's at christmas time get them involved in the christmas do um to to meet everybody and and have that easy transition it's a lot harder for somebody to say no to human beings once they've started building those
0: relationships yeah Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I wanna just underline this part of the podcast before we, we, we finish off with, with your three top tips. If you you're a hiring manager, what you need to do is work out is the candidate in front of me demotivated, meaning that the heart is no longer in it with their current employer, or are they dissatisfied? If it's the latter, that is where the countshopper risk comes in. Because so dissatisfied can mean no career progression, i have not getting paid enough on the basic salary, flexibility, you touched on it before, that's solvable. The heart's not in it, the motivated piece, no longer have an emotional attachment to that business. It's very, very difficult for that current employer to come back from. The, yeah. the, the quicker you know which camp your candidate sits in, the easier you're gonna be able to manage this whole process. So I hope that piece was helpful and people have got a lot from that. Um, It's great for us to have this refresh conversation on it as well, because it's good to chew that pattern, I think. Um, To finish off with Bob, um, what would your three top tips be right now for companies to help them avoid losing candidates? before they, they are meant to join
1: yeah i think from everything we've spoken about today we, and we've we've done a hell of a lot there i think the first one is ultimately that open communication throughout the whole process so from application through to start date it is, it's just constant comms throughout secondly it's that team engagement piece and what i mean by that is, is getting people that are in your business involved with the new uh, potential starter as soon as possible to you know have as many uh, touch points as possible yeah and third and foremost it's making yourself aware and aligning yourself to what those red flags can be that we've talked about because if you're ir- ignorant to them then your chance of losing somebody significantly rises if you're on top of them then you're you mitigate that risk a lot obviously not completely because we're dealing with human beings but
0: you yeah. give yourself such a much better opportunity yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you for coming on, Rob. That's really a enjoyed pleasure. That. Yeah, it's great, good. Great great to have you on again. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Recruitment Roundup podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the show, to watching the show. Um, we really appreciate your support. It would be absolutely fantastic um, if you could give us a rating on apple on spotify give us a review Um, any feedback really really helps and is massively appreciated so thank you once again for joining us and we will hopefully see you again next week